How are we doing today? So it's, uh, it's good to be with you. Um, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm constantly just amazed that, like in this moment, that God would, would speak through me. Um, like I, and I just felt the weight of that this morning. And I, and I just want to say that as we dive into what the Lord has for us today, that, um, man, God's just profoundly moved and spoken um, to my heart for us to, to tackle what we're tackling today. Um, just in undeniable ways that it's Him and not like, here's some thoughts that Dave has. Um, and so I just want to be super clear about that. But I also just want to be super clear about the fact that we need Him. Um, that if the words I speak from my mouth would penetrate our hearts at all, it would actually be His work and not my work and not my um, uh, wonderful way to, um, to coin out some, some phrases and sentences, but actually be the Spirit of God moving among us. And so um, we're going to talk about the story of Nehemiah. And if you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah at all, it's a story that's marked profoundly by leadership. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about leadership and what it looks like uh, to be a godly leader um, who is really marked by gospel work and saturated with the gospel. And so um, I want to use the story of Nehemiah um, to tackle that uh, this morning. And so I, I just want to stop and I want to pray. And I just want to, um, I want to pray that God would just move. Because I don't want to waste our time and just say some stuff that, you know, you maybe journal and, and then move on, but that it would actually change us and that it would actually change me. So let's pray and beg that God would do that. Um, God, I'm just baffled that you would use me, that you would put me in this role, and it's just so humbling because I feel so inadequate, um, even the way you shaped this talk this morning. And so, God, I just beg that you'd be here. I just beg that you'd move in our hearts because you're a good and faithful God. You're so good and so faithful. In the midst of all that's going on in our lives, you're present and you're active and you're working. And so God, in these moments, in the next 35 minutes, would you, by the power of your Spirit, transform our hearts? That we would be impressed with you and you alone. God, I'm, I'm desperate for you this morning. So would you move, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bible, go to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to tackle um, several different places in Nehemiah. Um, I also have the scripture up on the screen that you can follow along as well. A um, couple things about Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is an Old Testament character and really this stout, godly leader, this godly individual in the midst of a whole lot of ungodly leadership in Israel's history. And so we really jump into a time here where there's a whole lot of political war and a whole lot of social unrest that's going on. And Nehemiah is going to enter into that and really recognize his God-called role to be, a, be an agent of change in the midst of um, some crazy stuff that goes down. So let's pick it up in, in chapter 1, Nehemiah 1, chapter, uh, verse 1. It says this, um, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekelah. Now it happened in the month of Shislev in the 12th year, or in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel. So basically it just said that uh, 
this king uh, that we'll read about in a second has been reigning for 20 years, and the time frame is about November, December in this time of year. Um, Verse 2, and Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, so basically, he's getting this report about his hometown, okay? And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. So the report isn't good. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, one of the things that I want us to see immediately is what what marks a person that's changed by Jesus is, is this picture of you're grieved when something isn't the way it should be. Now, you can't, always, you can't always change it, right? I mean, there's things like you're, we're grieved by, and we, we even want to begin to engage, and we know, like, we might not be able to change it. But Nehemiah here is so um, taken back by this fact that his hometown is in ruins. Okay? Um, continue on in verse 4. It says this, And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned. For days. Okay, so here's Nehemiah. He gets word about Jerusalem, the walls being broken down. Now, this isn't like a landscaping wall in somebody's backyard, okay, that would grieve me if a wall I built kind of fell because it takes a long time to build. Okay, walls in this culture were their protection. Okay, so no walls, no gates would be no enforcement of law. No way to control evil and keep evil out and keep good in. Okay? So he gets word that, that evil's really going to run rampant now in his town because there's no way to monitor who's going in and who's going out. Now, I need you to get this picture because... I don't think we can fully grasp what's happening here unless we understand this. So Nehemiah, um, what does Nehemiah do? Everybody know, right? Come on, Nehemiah is a what? Cupbearer. That's sorry, I didn't phrase the question too well. You're like, there's a whole lot of answers there. Anyway, um, he's a cupbearer. So we are like, okay, cool. He's a cupbearer. What in the world is that? He holds a cup. Okay, so picture this. Nehemiah is a part of really a very privileged position in the royal family, and his responsibility is to serve the king. Okay, now, now this isn't like this lowly job where he's like doing the, like he's, he's checking to make sure that, that no one has come after the king to kill the king. He's tasting wine to protect the king. Now, this isn't like, you know, your regular like run-of-the-mill wine. Like, this is like the best of the best of the best. Okay, so Nehemiah is in this position where he's of privilege, he's earned royal trust and favor, he has the royal ear where he can even begin to speak into some of the decisions that the king is making. Okay, now get this. He's 800 miles away from Jerusalem. So this isn't like he looks out his back window and he sees it. No, he's completely removed, 
more so he's in this high position where really the turmoil of life isn't in existence. Now, here's the danger for, for us, uh, really as, as people, but also as just Americans, is the tendency to really um, celebrate the individual. Okay, we live in a world that really we've become expert navel gazers, right? That we love ourselves, and we love like what we're doing, and we, we love to think about everything that revolves around our world and our agenda, and we build out our life in such a way that's comfortable for us and who we are and what we want. Um, I, I just wrote out a couple sentences here that maybe some of these will hit home to try to show you how this is really true in our lives. So um, it, it goes something like this. Maybe some of these will sound familiar. Um, why can't my spouse pick up their clothes? Because they're always in my way. Or doesn't this guy driving slow in front of me realize I have a place to go? I have to be somewhere? Okay, or why can't my kids just behave, right? They're such an inconvenience to me. Or why can't my wife just have dinner ready for me when I get home from work? Like, is that too much to ask? Because actually, you know, she's staying at home, and if you stay at home, you're really not doing anything, right? And I've been at work all day. Okay. Yeah, obviously, that's wrong. Don't, don't go there. We can talk later. <laughs> I saw a couple of eyes. Like, that's not my perspective. I'm just uh, throwing out an illustration that might hit home for some, okay? Get myself in trouble here. Um, or why, am I, why can't my parents just let me do what? I want? Or why does my boss ask me to do so much? Doesn't he realize I have a life? Or when am I going to get a raise? You see how we, we build our lives that everything revolves around me. Me, me, me. We're expert navel gazers and we have a natural sin bent to that the world revolve around. I want to get mine. Now, here's what's crazy. Nehemiah has that. He has that. He's in this privileged position. And here's, here's also what's crazy. He doesn't have a Facebook feed giving him news about Jerusalem. He doesn't have Fox News manipulating the truth about the wall in Jerusalem. Okay? He's genuinely grieved when he gets word about home. He's not being manipulated by the media or by people. He's hearing the truth and it grieves his heart. Listen, that's a God-filled leader that first and foremost is broken about this is not how it should be, but then we're going to see Nehemiah moves to action. He's like, I'm going to do something even though I have it perfect in many ways. And so he sees it as his problem, not someone else's problem, and he enters into the fray. Listen, most, people, most of the time we're so filled with this, this holistic, this idea of holistic human flourishing. Not as much, though, as we are about personal human flourishing. As long as I'm doing well, it's okay. They can figure it out for themselves. Nehemiah's like, no, I'm doing well, but that's not Okay. Because our call as God's people is to engage in a holistic picture of what it looks like for humans to flourish and not just a personalized picture of what it looks like for me to flourish. 
Because here's the deal. Think about this. God, he's in perfection. The, the perfect picture of flourishment. Everything is perfect. Okay? We sin. We ruin it. It really doesn't affect him. It really doesn't affect his greatness. It really doesn't affect his joy. And what does he do? He comes. He enters the fray. He comes into the brokenness of this world. He comes into this place. He comes outside of the, of the, the eternal reality of time. And he enters the fray at the cost of his very own son. Now, let's keep reading. Because something else that marks Nehemiah's perspective is humility. Um, look, let's continue at verse 4. It says, And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive to your, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Like, you hear that? Like, he's not even in the situation that he's going to go be a part of restoring. And what does he say? Oh, shit, it's my fault. I'm at fault. We're, we're broken, sinful human beings. He's humble. God, forgive us. And your ear be attentive, verse 6, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. He even points that out. Even myself. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. How often when life is in turmoil are we quick to find someone else to blame for the cause of it? Right? Very quickly. Nehemiah wasn't like that. Keep reading verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. I love that. And give success to your servant today. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I, here's the answer to the question I asked a bit, a bit ago. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Okay, listen. A mark of a God-filled leader is someone who doesn't think they have all the answers. And they walk in humility. And they walk in the realization that really, um, I'm a part of the problem. I am the problem. Um, so one of the things that, it's interesting if you've ever spent any time shepherding leaders, which we're all leaders in some capacity, um, but if you've ever spent any time shepherding leaders, particularly um, my heart goes to my oldest daughter, who's a profound leader, and one of the things that I'm profoundly trying to work on her with is what it looks like to actually admit that you need help. I don't care how competent you are, I don't care how old you are or young you are, we need help to do what God's called us to do. 
We need help. I don't care how much education you have. We need God's help. We don't have the answers. And, and that's hard to admit, right? It's hard to own up to. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'll keep reading. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisa, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. He was performing his duty as the cupbearer. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? So, like, he hasn't even had this conversation with him. And the king realizes this is how much this had affected him. Why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. Listen to this. I, this, this blows me away even about such a stout leader like Nehemiah is he submits himself to authority. Like what is he doing? One, like the king's his boss, so he's getting permission from the king, but secondly, do you know what he's doing? He's realizing that as a as a leader, as a person, he needs the king's resources, right? Like if, if I'm going to accomplish what I'm called to accomplish, I need the resources of the king. I need help. I think there's this danger, even, even for us, as we talk a lot um, about changing our community and uh, I feel like we talk more than we actually do, which is kind of a, a confession that I'll make that I don't... Um, we had a phenomenal meeting, uh, the elders, the other night, talking about our community groups and our vision for our community groups. Um, and uh, I don't feel like, as a church, we mobilize you corporately to, to, to change this community as much as we talk about mobilizing you. And so I just confess that and ask for your prayers that actually we would lead out better in that. Um, and I would lead out better in that. Um, but And I think one of the things that... Um, that, that Nehemiah realized, that we have a tendency to realize, is seeing the mission as actually God's work, not our work. Okay? We can have the tendency to, to, to go after what we feel like we're supposed to go after and miss out on the fact that God's more passionate about the mission of bringing change and making disciples than we are or can ever be. Like, that's his heart. And if we're ever going to be work for the good of North County... In the midst of the brokenness of North County, we first and foremost have to submit to the reality that God is way more than we are more passionate about the city that many of us live in and love and want to see transformation happen here. It's God. God's at work. Listen, when we don't um, keep God at the center of, of the mission we actually begin to walk outside of what he's called us to. Because there can be a tendency to say, okay, God's at work, so how can I join in with him in his work? Okay? As opposed to maybe the tendency to like, this sounds good, so we're going to do this. 
I don't want to be that. I want to like, let's just do good for good's sake. But no, let's, what is God doing? How has he gifted us where we can then enter in to what God is already doing and not actually work against him? And that's what I love about Nehemiah is he's like, I need your permission. I'm, I'm coming under the authority of you as the king, but I need your resources. Because that's, that's what's crazy about this idea of resources is because, okay, think about what we're called to do as, as a church. What's the mission of the church? Why do we exist? What'd you say? Make disciples. I read your lips. Say it out loud. Glorify God. Glorify God by making disciples. Do we realize that making disciples actually takes God's miraculous work? Okay, so we can go out and do all kinds of social justice, good stuff, like look at North Church, look at how great are we, and it actually not be God's work, and actually not need God's help. Okay, let me prove this to you. So in Acts 26, um, it says this. Jesus is talking to Paul, and he's giving Paul a commission, and he says, I'm sending you. In the same way that he's sending us, he's saying, I'm sending you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. Can any of us do that? Now, the stories we've been looking at, seeing people come from the power of darkness to the power of light, like, go, do it. We can't do that. Only God can do that. That's God's work. So we can go out and do a whole bunch of good things in the name of, you know, social justice, but it not actually be the mission of God's work of seeing people come from darkness to light. what a godly leader realizes. I need God's resources. Think about that. We think of resources as like, you know, like money and stuff. And yeah, we want to give money and stuff to, to our community. But we also want to give transforming life that only comes through the transforming power of God. And we can't do it All we can do is be engaged and beg God to do it in us and through us. And it's crazy that he would choose to use broken, sinful human beings to accomplish his work of miraculous power to transform and open eyes. But here's what's crazy. Any of you ever surprised by opposition? You ever like and go to embark on something? You have this picture in your mind like this: is how it's going to go? We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're wake up today and we're going to do this, 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 and this, and it's going to go perfect. And at the end of the day, this is what is going to be accomplished. And at the end of the day, you're like, uh, uh-uh. like that's not what I set out for. And you begin to look back and you're like, well, well, this got in the way, and this got in the way, and this got in the way, and this got in the way. Probably true to say that that happens more often than not, right? There's opposition to the work. Nehemiah faces that. So, so he goes to Jerusalem and he begins the work of rebuilding the wall and he faces unbelievable opposition. I just want to look at a little bit of this. Um, look at Nehemiah 2 and then we'll jump to 4. But Nehemiah 2 verse 9, look at what, what it says. Then I came to the governors 
of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. So they didn't have Facebook feeds and news, news like they actually traveled with letters and communicated that way, word of mouth. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Amorite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Okay, now, when I read that this week, I was initially shocked about that. I underlined it, I marked it, I was like, gosh, that's crazy. And then I was immediately like, I don't know if convicted's the word, but I was immediately kind of in this place of like, I can't believe that I was shocked about that verse. Because that's normal. Where, where we seek to do good, it will always be, be with evil present. There will always be opposition to what we do. So like, now I read it, I'm just like, duh. Right? The reason why we're trying to do good is because there's evil, and people that are doing evil love evil. So why would they get on board with us trying to do good? So now I read it, and I'm like, yeah. That's sad, but yeah. Because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have opposition. You're going to set out a plan, and it's not going to go the way you think it should. And then you're just going to have to trust me. And that's where we're like, ah, why do we got to do that part? Can't we just have a plan and just walk it out and not really say, God, we need you. But look at the threats. Jump to, jump to chapter 4. God of the leaders face opposition. Nehemiah 4, uh, verse 1, when, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. I, listen, I want to be a church that makes people angry. Can you hear me? Do you understand that? You're like, isn't that kind of the, the opposite of the church? Like, what I mean by that is this. Where people want evil to reign, they're going to be angry at people who want good to reign. Okay? I, I want people to look at North Church and be like, I want unbelievers, I want our public schools and our city officials, I want them to know of North Church and look at North Church and be like, gosh, that is a, they're doing good for our community. Okay? But there's also going to be people who like, don't like the good we're doing because it goes against their evil plan. And that's what happens here. He was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and sisters, and he said, it doesn't say that, um, so that's not what it says, let's read it again. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at, and burn ones, burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside himself, and he said, Yes, what they are doing, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it'll break down their stone wall. So he's just mocking them. Mocking them. Listen, don't be surprised by opposition. Don't be surprised by things coming at your face to keep you from doing the mission that God's called you to do. It's promised. Like, okay, look at the life of Jesus. 
What did he endure? Unbelievable ridicule, unbelievable opposition. Yet what do we expect for our lives? No opposition, no ridicule. Right? It's crazy. Yet we're called to that our lives would be, look like Christ. He lost his life. In the name of fulfilling the mission his father set him out to. I think this is one of the hardest things. I think this is one of the hardest things um, as a dad is to try to understand what it looks like to help your kids see that life is hard. Okay, apart from like the, apart from those comments that, that you make, like uh, when they're like, ah, oh, it's unfair, and I'm like, well, life's unfair, you know. Um, maybe they'll get it that way, but because um, I don't want it to be hard, right? Like, think about it. Any, any of your, like, whether you're a parent or not, if you have friends that you're in close relationship with, like, you don't want their life to be hard. And you want to help them know how to live in such a way where it won't be hard. But, but I don't care who we are. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are at something. Like, it's going to be hard. And you're going to walk in hard things, and some of us are going to walk in harder things than others. And it's not attached to how great your faith is or how much you trust God, but it's just attached to how God wants to use you in his plan. I was having this conversation with Mikhail um, this weekend about just the challenges of, of just doing what God wants you to do. And, and uh, she was really tired, so she was struggling to be encouraging and, and use nice words. And so I was talking to her about that, and I was like, I was like babe, you need to... You need to pray and ask God to help you. She's like, I did. Like it's a, an agenda item, like a check off, like I did. I'm like, no, listen, like, it's a relationship. It's a constant relationship. It's this constant picture of, hey, you engage with him, he engages with you. He's the one who empowers you and enables you. But the other thing that's, that's crazy is the tendency, even as a parent, to want to shelter my kids from harm. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to protect them. And maybe be doing more harm to them than good. And so we build rubber houses and we try to avoid injuries. And like we're camping this weekend and my daughter's like standing up on her bike and I'm just like, she's going to fall and hurt herself. And, and we can talk about how life is hard. I am a good parent, I promise. But I think more than trying to shelter our kids and protect them or trying to shelter the people that we're leading and protect them, God wants to teach us to to teach people how to endure the hard things, not avoid the hard things. Now, I'm not all about, like, let's teach people to just do dumb things and not teach them how to use their brains. But I think we, we're, we're too good at teaching people how to avoid the hard things. And I just can't get over the model that God the Father was willing to sacrifice his own son to fill the mission. Yet us as parents, we're unwilling to even think about letting our kids have hard experiences and not necessarily willingly sending them go and figure it out but I think there's a balance there and I think there's something for us to learn from the fact that God sent his son into ugly and into the mess to be a change agent in the mess 
equipped him, empowered him, gave him the Holy Spirit. Didn't keep him in heaven. They'll figure it out. You can't, you can't do that. That'll break you. That'll make you cry. That'll be hard. We're going to keep you here. Gosh, God help me. I want to keep him here. And I want to not send him out. But we've got to teach people how to live in the divine protection of God and endure. Look at verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let, their, let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Gosh, what a defining quality of a godly, gospel-saturated leader. They had a mind to work. This is going to be hard. It's going to take time. But we have a mind to work. And I love how Nehemiah refocuses his, his perspective on the Lord. Right? He go like, like, they're mocking him. They're like, a fox goes up on that wall. It's going to fall down. Like, that's a terrible job. Right? They're like mocking him. And Nehemiah's like, focuses on the Lord. God, remind me the mission. Remind me what you're doing. Remind me. I need you. I need your help. This isn't just a checklist. This is, I actually need you to be with me. Gosh, I think so often we think God's up in heaven and he just sends us down. He's like, good luck. It's hard. Good luck. He's like, no, I'm coming. Not only am I coming, but I'm in you if you're a believer. I'm empowering you and enabling you to live and love and serve and get out of your own self-protected world that says, it's about me. And realize that maybe 800 miles away, God's sending me. And I'm in, I'm in such a beautiful place. And everything's pretty comfortable and pretty easy. And the thought of going would be unbelievable sacrifice and bring unbelievable opposition. Yet that's the mission and that's the work. Listen, when the Lord's at the center of the work, you can endure the difficult. When the Lord's at the center of the work, you can endure the difficult. And the reason why I think the mission gets hard sometimes is that Jesus isn't in the center of it. And the answer is in relationship, not in just knowing the answer. But look at verse 7, and we'll wrap up with this. When Sanballat and Tobiah, and the Arabs and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward. I love that. Like God's, God's like, this is going forward. I'm working. I'm doing a work here. In spite of the opposition... I love the picture. God's bigger than our opposition. It was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. 
You want to be a godly leader that's saturated with the truth of the gospel? Depend on God like you have nothing else. Like not just like for five minutes in the morning, not just on a Sunday morning, but every moment of every day. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. Like you literally live on your knees in relationship with God. God, I need you. God, give me wisdom in my job. Give me wisdom to fire this person with respect and dignity. Give me wisdom to hire this person with respect and dignity. Give me, give me wisdom to manage these finances. Give me wisdom to honor evil in a way that would bring the gospel to light, not in a way that would make Satan look good. hope that made sense. I don't want to honor evil, (laughs) but it sounded funny, so I wanted to clarify that. To engage with those who are doing evil in a way that would say, listen, this isn't how God designed you. This isn't what you're called to. In a way that we would depend on the Lord. So I want to ask this question, and I want to pray. Do you want the Lord to use your life to advance His grace? Do you want the Lord to use your life to advance His grace? And then would you join me in praying this morning that God would use you? Say, God, use me. Let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. As we begin to pray, I want to just challenge you to to pray that. God, use me. In spite of the opposition, in spite of your gifting, part of your weak faith. God, use me. God, would you help us? We're a broken, weak people who've been called by a great and mighty God We want to be people who lead change, who lead others to the grace-transforming work of the gospel. And not just do good for good's sake. So God, would you empower us? Would you enable us to be you? God, I want to be used. In spite of the opposition... I want to be used. I want, I want evil and brokenness to grieve my heart. And I want you to lead the mission and not fight against it by doing my own thing. God, teach us to endure. Teach us to be dependent upon you. God, engage our hearts as we respond in Christ's name. Amen.